preach the sermon. Y'all, I don't know if y'all heard it, but I heard it. <laughs> he called my name and I ran out of that grave. <laughs> Jesus. Called to be. All of us are called to be. We're called to be something. We're called to do something. I um, I seen this phrase this week, and I thought, man, I, 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 you can't you can't plan this stuff. You can't y'all don't know what God has already done today here. You you can't muster these things up. I want you to see what Paul said here. I'm just going to struggle through this the best I can right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, or the scripture says, Paul called to be. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will. The sovereign will. Through the will of God he's called to be. And Sosanus, our brother, to the church of God who is at Corinth, those who are sanctified in Christ, means to be set apart. Called to be saints. With all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus our Lord. Both theirs and ours. I promise that today we're going to finish Hebrews 11. But I kind of want to catch us up to where we've been in this thing that God showed me about the call. He first showed me that he calls us to a promise. And I want y'all to know that I'm not smart enough to plan something to start like it started and to end like I see it ending today. But not only did this passage start with the promise, it's going to end with the promise. And we see how it ends that they didn't obtain this promise. But in the process of getting to the promise they were called to be, and they laid their lives down to do it, and they followed instructions, and they kept listening for instructions, and they kept walking, and they kept going, and they fellowshiped um, along the way. They shared what God was showing them. And last week we talked about really we kind of broke it, or I kind of broke it up into three sections, but really it's a couple groups of people. We talked about unbelievers and how unbelievers are indifferent. They hear the message, but it really doesn't mean anything to them. 
But then we talked about another group last week about believers who serve themselves. Basically, what the scripture reveals to us is that's just an informed unbeliever. That's the point I was trying to make last week with Hebrews says that Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, but when we went back and read the account of Rahab, we seen that they heard it, that they were frightful, that they even believed the message. They just never did anything about it. And last week we ended with um, believers who serve God. And the New Testament basically gives us in detail what that looks like. James tells us what a believer who serves God, what it looks like. If uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians 13, when he says, examine yourselves, take this test to see whether or not you have this, this faith. He, they call us to examine what our hearts are, to see whether we are people, or if we're just informed unbelievers, because oftentimes we use that terminology in the church, believer or unbeliever. And it doesn't always necessarily refer to the called or, not, or the ones who haven't been called or the ones who have rejected the call. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. And so, in this process, I want you to learn something. Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus according to the will of God and he writes this letter to you who are called to be saints so instead of putting Strong's exhaustive concordance this much definition down under saints I picked out two words in the definition of the Greek word hagios uh, saints and it basically means to be holy and blameless to be morally lawful to be uh, Morally blameless. Those who are called to be holy and blameless. And when I read that definition, I thought about a scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1 that we often use in, in, um, in teaching and doctrine. It says that he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. And so, in other words, Paul says he called us to be saints, to be holy and blameless. When he calls, that call is to be holy and blameless. And so, I'm using some of the same things that we used last week. When it says that he chose us, he chose us to be saints. He chose us to be holy and blameless. He calls us to be holy and blameless. Holy is, it simply means set apart. And it says specifically in his sight. We're not always holy and blameless in each other's sight. But that doesn't matter. It call, it, what matters is that we are holy and blameless in his sight. And so we're called to be different. Last week I said unbelievers were indifferent and believers who serve themselves are deceived and believers are 
different. And we're called to be different. He calls us. He chooses us. He sets us apart to be different. We're not like we were before. What was the next song that says he, uh, in glorious day, he says, when, I, when he called my name, I ran out of that grave. I'm no longer dead. I'm now alive. I'm different. And so, let's look at this passage this week. Hebrews 32, 38. I'm going to show you a little bit about how they were different. And finishing up, Hebrews 11, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me. This is how we know he was preaching a sermon. For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. Stop the mouth of lions. Quench the violence of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. Became valiant in battle. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. That they, may, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings, scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. Anybody excited to receive that call of God on your life? Nobody? What if that's the call? That was Paul's call. That is what he was called to. And in that he found great joy. But that is what he was called to. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves. And they did all these things because God called them to be. All these, this walk that all these people in Hebrews, this whole uh, chapter of the famous faith fathers received this call and by faith they went out and they went through the ups and the downs. In Hebrews, they used a lot of the downs. They didn't really talk about what Solomon was called to be. He was called to be rich. He was called to be wise. He was called to unify a kingdom. And, and later on in his immorality, he actually divided it. But his call was the same nevertheless. The call never changed. He was called to be. And so we're going to look at some... Ways that they answered. So we go through this, all these people, we want to see how exactly did they answer the initial call? What exactly did they do? That was a question that was in my heart today. How did they answer? 
Roger has been asking me for that for two years now. What do I do? How do I answer? Well, it's a whole lot simpler, really, than we think. And so let me show you some ways that they answered. <clears throat> Abraham left home. The way that he became different was he went from a Chaldean, a Babylonian, to a Hebrew. But he answered the call by obeying, by leaving home. And he was changed. He became different. He went from a Chaldean in the land of Ur to now a Hebrew in the land of promise. A promise he would never get to see. Isaac laid on the altar. You know, I, I can't believe it went back to when I preached on um, Isaac. But I thought about um, uh, what I learned about Isaac, how some of the scholars think that he was somewhere around 30 years old, 30, 33 years old, when Abraham bound him up. In other words, he wasn't kicking and screaming when he got up on that altar. He willingly got up on it. And so he realized that there was a promise and there was a process to this promise. I might have wrote that down backwards. But he went from the promise son. He went from the promise to Abraham to the process of Christ. And that's what he went to. And so Jacob wrestled God. That's how he answered. He went from deceiver to believer. That's pretty catchy, ain't it? Y'all like it? <laughs> I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. That'll lighten it up a little bit. T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, he went from one who deceives to now a believer. Everything changed. And, it, you know, he came out of that wrestling match different. Not only was he different internally, but he was physically different. The Lord reached down and touched his hip. And he came out of that wrestling match changed forever. And you see, when we're called to be and we pick up that phone and we answer that call, we are forever changed. And the warning that I was given last week, is, it's a warning, it's an exhortation, it should be encouragement. Is that if there's never been a change, then you've never answered the call. You've just simply been informed that there is a call. You've simply been informed that there's a God who calls. But every time, I promise you, I'm not like I was the day that I answered that call 10 years ago. I'm different. I definitely wouldn't be here today. It's different. Everything changes. And so when, as, as Jacob answered that call, he wrestled God. He went from what he was to what he became. Moses fled before he followed. Joshua took courage when, as he answered the call. Samson took strength when he answered the call. Barak took Deborah when he answered the call. I took Christy Lee when I answered the call. But what he was called to do, I wrote on here, he refused the glory. He answered that call knowing, if you go back and read the story, he answered the call knowing that he wouldn't receive the glory for the victory won. 
It was prophesied to him. But he answered anyway. What if you lived your whole life been a piece of the puzzle nobody paid attention to? Nobody looked at. You never got any glory for any of the victories that you won in your life. For any of the battles that you fought. No one ever looked up to you. You was just a little piece of the puzzle. Will you still be willing to answer the call? That's the question. Because if truly our hearts cry out, the only thing I want in life is to be known for loving Christ. Won't be that hard. If we're not wanting to be known for our doctrinal knowledge and our theology and uh, the way we serve coffee or the way we take up chairs or whatever your position is in the body of Christ, if we want to only be known for loving Christ, we'll be willing to lay all those things down at his feet. I don't have to be right in my doctrine if I know him. If I know him. I don't have to prove to you my theology if I know him. I don't have to be known or seen for making the coffee if I know him. I don't have to be seen for doing the finances if I know him. If I know him, I don't need the glory. Because the only thing I want in life is to be known for loving Christ. Nothing else. I'm not looking for stature in my brother's eyes. I don't want to be up here preaching. But we're called to be. And whatever we're called to be, I've never had a desire to do this. And to this day, I still don't have a desire to do this in this setting. It's just not my desire. But I'm answering my call. And I haven't fully answered that call. Yeah, I haven't gone into all what he's taken me. But this is the process here to the promise that he's given me. This is just part of the process. And I don't want his glory. I just want to be known for loving Christ. Gideon asked for many signs. He went from tiny in his own mind to a mighty warrior. And so to put all that down, he went from small to big. He went so big, actually, if you go and read the story, he made a few mistakes. Don't we all? Amen. Samuel answered, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Some of us are in tune with the voice of God. For others of us, we struggle. Samuel was confused as he answered this call in his life. But when he figured out who was calling, he said, speak. David faced a giant. He went from a shepherd boy to a king. Was he different? Yeah. It was a 20-something year process, though. He was given a promise. In 22, 25-something-odd years and all that, he began to walk into that promise. But the call brought him from the least of the sons of Jesse to the greatest, really, in the world at that time, but the greatest in the nation. And God spoke of him as he was a man after his own heart. 
But he answered that call by facing a giant. And then he started the process after he answered that call by hiding in caves and learning how to go to war and learning how to worship in the midst of warfare. Solomon asked for wisdom. That's how he answered the call so that he could lead the people. And God told him, Benji didn't ask for all the things that the world has to offer. I'm just going to add them to you. Sound like something that we hear all the time? Seek ye first the kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. <clears throat> Elijah spoke without fear. That's how he answered the call. Got him in trouble, too. But when God calls us to speak, do we cower down or do we speak? Do we compromise or do we stand up? He spoke without fear. Elijah asked for a double portion. That's how he answered the call. I'll do what you've called me to do, he said to Elijah. Only that God give me a double portion of the spirit that you have. Man, I've pondered that often. That boy did not know what he was asking for. <laughs> Just telling him. <clears throat> Isaiah said, here am I, send me. He saw a vision. I love the... The scripture, man, if you go back and y'all double check me on this, but Isaiah goes through all this, these things and he's looking out at them. And he says, woe is the drunkard and woe is this person and woe is that person. And then he sees this revelation of God and he says, ooh, woe is me. He looks in the mirror that we talked about last week and says, woe is me. That's what Paul does in Romans 2. It makes us look back in that mirror. Daniel purposed it in his heart. That's how he answered the call. He went from a slave, not just one time, in every kingdom that arose in his lifetime, he went from slave to number two in command. Because he purposed it in his heart. When God called him, he purposed it in his heart. Not to defile himself. He purposed it in his heart to obey. Doesn't mean that he didn't have to crawl into the lion's den. Doesn't mean he didn't have to watch his friends walk into the fiery furnace. It doesn't mean that he didn't endure trials. He, uh, he wasn't called to worship idols. It doesn't, by the pagan king, it doesn't mean any of that. It simply means the way he answered it, the call was he purposed it in his heart. To serve only God. And he found a way to serve both the king and God. He found a way. <clears throat> Zechariah called for repentance. Didn't turn out well for him either. Matthew followed. That's how he answered the call. He got up from his table. Mary asked, how can this be? I wonder if we would just sometimes pause when God calls us and just simply ask how and not move another muscle until he tells us how to. If you've called me to be, if all this that we're talking about the last three weeks is true, then how do I do it? And sit still until he tells us how. 
You know, we often talk about the last words that Jesus says was go therefore, but it wasn't. It was tarry ye. For those of y'all who aren't King James, it meant to wait. He said wait. That was the last thing he said. Wait right here until you receive power. When you receive that power, I really won't have to tell you what to do or where to go. You'll be gone. But we're not teaching that today. We don't talk about waiting on God. I'm telling you, listen for a call and wait. Hurry up and wait. That's what I say on my jobs all the time. Every contractor wants you to hurry up. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, but it's hurry up and wait. Hurry up and wait. But that's what we need to do. Ask, how can this be? If, you've called, if, if someone would have told me 10, 12 years ago, man, you're going to be a preacher, I, I would have said, how? There's no way. That's impossible. You don't know me. But here we are. Luke recorded history. That's how he answered the call. We know him as a physician. But he was also a historian. And so he answered the call of God on his life. If we didn't have Luke, there would be a lot of loose ends in our New Testament. There would be a, um, a lot of questions, but Luke gives us these two great historical documents that tells us of the life of Jesus and then the first 30 or so years of the birth of the church. And it's pretty awesome. I really love Luke's writings. That's uh, Luke and Acts. But Luke answered the call by recording what he saw, the testimony, gathering all the information. He was the historian. Mark served Peter. That's how he answered the call. Peter dropped his net. Simply dropped his net. God cut off Paul's natural vision. In order for Paul to answer this call, what he saw had to be cut off. He cut off his natural vision to turn on his supernatural vision because it's what his actual natural eyes said to him was evil. Was the very purpose to his call. What his natural eye was telling him was evil. Was the exact thing that Paul was called to. I want you to do something for me. Every person right now. Every person just close your eyes. Right now. In here. Alright now someone tell me what you see. Speak up. Nothing. Uh, purple and black lines. <laughs> what else do you see? Darkness. Darkness. Purple and black lines. Nothing. Red and gray. All right, open up. What do you see now? Name. Light. You. Me. Isn't it amazing how when we close our eyes when our vision gets cut off for a minute our mind can do things we actually can see things we can actually sometimes see better when we're not looking than when we're looking and this is what Paul what God did in Paul's life 
He cut off what his eyes were telling him that he saw in order to show him something different. And sometimes that's what we need to do. Sometimes we need to get still and close our eyes so our, our brains will stop processing what we're looking at and trying to make sense of what we're looking at. Because what Paul was looking at, he thought was evil. He was about to find out on that road to Damascus was the very thing that God was calling him to. And sometimes we need to just pause. I was talking with a friend of mine, and I've used this a lot the other day. If we only looked at what the world showed us, we could easily say there is no God. If we only opened our eyes and tried to process what is going on all around us, if we never got alone, if we never got quiet, if we never closed our eyes and spoke with God, we can easily say, where is he in all this? Is it real? And so sometimes God has to cut off our natural vision. And I pray this for every one of us in here today, that he would cut off what our brain is naturally producing by what we see, so that we can see something supernatural in him. And so let me show you. Notice I said um, his natural eye was telling him what he saw was evil. Look at this right here. The point is that when they answered, they were different. Paul was heading to arrest some Christians, some believers, some born-again believers in the town of Damascus. But when he got this call, and he answered this call, things changed for him. And so, what I hope we see in Hebrews 11 is that when they answered, they were different. Look at this passage of Scripture. Joshua 24. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord, <clears throat> serve him in sincerity and in truth, Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil, y'all see that? If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose. Everybody say choose. Choose, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. You know how Daniel answered the call on his life? He chose. He chose for himself who he was going to serve in life. And the scripture says he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food. The very first thing that he was called to do. And so what I'm saying here is sometimes we... We've got to remember that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts above our thoughts and his way above our ways. We can't try and for ourselves to determine what's right and wrong. But we must purpose it in our heart that no matter what I'm called to be, 
if I'm called to be in the prison, if I'm called to be in the palace, whatever I'm called to be, that I answer the call and I don't try to determine for myself whether it's right or wrong, just to know within me that it's my call and that I'm called to be and that I'm answering the call in which God's called me to be. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. Then he says this, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But as for me, I'm choosing to serve God. Wherever he takes me, whatever it looks like, I'm choosing to serve him. And so this was Joshua's stand. God chooses to call, we choose to answer. See, it says he chose us to be holy and blameless. Paul says he calls us to be saints. <coughs> it's his choice whether or not he calls, but it is your choice whether or not you answer. He gives you the desire, he gives you the ability, but you must pick up the phone. You must answer that call. All right, we're going to go through four books in the Bible real quick. Y'all ready? <laughs> All right, I'm just, I'm just playing. But I want you to reference this. Because these two books right here are a little bit different. They give a little historical background. So maybe you could take a couple of weeks to read these two books. And it lists a few of those guys in Hebrews 11 that we were just referencing to. Especially uh, Elijah and Elisha. But what we see in this book are examples of those who were called and refused to answer. One that I'm really famous with because I spent a long time studying the book of famous, familiar. I just make up words as I go. One that I'm familiar with from studying the book of Daniel is Zedekiah. King Zedekiah, he was brought in as the king. And there was a prophet one prophet out of many prophets called to him to bring correction into his life, calling him to serve God. And they beat that prophet and they threw that prophet Jeremiah into a well. But the call of God was coming to Zedekiah. And he refused, he refused to answer that call in his life. And the outcome was, the last thing that he saw was his children being killed by Nebuchadnezzar. Then they gouged his eyes out, Nebuchadnezzar did, and sent him off to Babylon in captivity. Was the very last thing that he saw. That's how his life ended. Because he refused to answer the call. And many kings in that period refused to answer the call. And prophets would come and they would call them. And prophets would come and warn them. But they refuse to answer. And so I'm saying to you today, God's called you to be. I don't know what he's called you to be. I don't know when he's called you to be it. But don't refuse to answer. Don't disregard the message because of the credibility of the messenger. <coughs> 
just answer the call. <clears throat> so the last one is we're called not to indifference. And so we're called to be different, but we're not called to be indifferent. We're not called to casual Christianity. We're not called to, to do nothing. We're not called to Sunday morning gatherings. We're called to be something in every place that we go, everywhere that we go, we're called to be. And so what I want you to see out of Hebrews is they weren't neutral. Indifference means neutral. They weren't neutral. They answered the call. They did it in many different ways. There were many different styles of the way that they were called, but none of them sat still. None of them were neutral. None of them were do-nothing believers. They all did something. But they did wait. And they did get instruction. And they did give up their rights. But they weren't neutral. They weren't living for me, and they weren't living for here, and they weren't living for now. They were living for him. Hebrews 11.35 says that they might obtain a better what? Resurrection. <laughs> they were living for him. They were living for where? There. Of whom the world was not worthy, verse 38 says. Did they know that at the time? Probably not. Do you know that the world's not even worthy to have you in it? It's not. That's why it's so important for us to answer this call and be what we're called to be. They were living for them. Look at what this says. And all these having obtained a good testimony through what? Faith. Faith. Did not receive promise. They weren't worried about what they were going to get in the here and in the now. They answered the call for the him and the there and the then. The promise of heaven was more important to the promise of Jesus coming. The promise of being able to, to uh, see God face to face was more important to them than what they were receiving on earth that day. It was worth being sawed into. This is what the writer's telling us. It was worth Peter being crucified upside down. Paul said it was worth, or Paul knew that it was worth being beheaded. It was worth being in prison. It was worth hiding in caves. See, they considered what they wouldn't, what they may or may not receive on earth. They considered that the promise itself, even though they did not receive it, was worth what they were called to be. And so for all of us, I hope that that's the way it is for us, that we can look forward that we can look at him. If we look at the world and never open the book, 
Are we only reading one side of the story? Yeah. But if we try and, and decipher, if we try and put together in our minds and in our hearts what God's word says versus what we see, then we can with great confidence answer this call. The last part of that verse says that they should not be made perfect apart from us. See, we're part of this call. The writer just used those guys, but if he was writing this 20 years from now, he'd use some of us. Because we're part of that completion. We're part of that perfection. We live for him there then. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for, uh, for this message and all that you've shown me. And Father, I pray that um, if we're in this room and we've got all the information, I pray, Father, for those of us who know the terminology. We know that, um, Father, what the right answers are. We know who Jesus is. We've heard of him. But Father, we also know deep down in our hearts that we've only lived for me here and now. We haven't stored any treasure up in heaven. We haven't looked forward even to him there and then. Father, I pray that today be that day that we draw that line in that sand. And we say, I want to answer the call. Father, the very fact that you brought us here, no matter how you got us here, the very fact that we're in this room today means that you are calling, means that you're pulling at our hearts, means that you're trying to bring us into a place where we can live without guilt. We can be holy and blameless, a positional righteousness, something that is imparted to us. It's not earned and it's not worked for. And so, Father, I pray that this day that we in this room would draw this line in the sand and choose for ourselves whom we're going to serve. And from this day forward, Father, if you would give us the power, if you would place the desire in our hearts, because, Lord, uh, we confess to you that it doesn't come natural to want you or to serve you or to seek you. And so we're asking you, Lord, to give us that desire, each and every one of us, those who have answered that call, those who have never answered that call. Give us that desire, Father, to pick up that spiritual telephone and ask the question, um, what, what is it, Lord? What is it that you want me to do? And to say, yes, I'll do it, and then to ask for direction, well, how do I do it? And so, Father, for all of us, at some point or some place in our lives, there's always more that we could do. There's always something more that you've called us to. Father, don't let us look forward to what we can have here and now, but look forward to what we're going to have there and then. And help us, Lord, 
Help us to answer that call. Give us the desire to do it. Don't let us leave this place today, Father, without drawing that line in the sand. And saying, from this day forward, as for me and my house, we will serve thee, Lord. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.